The Athletic. Hello and welcome back to Pod on the Time, the Athletics Newcastle United podcast. My name's Taylor Payne and I'm joined by George Calkin and Chris Woff. As usual, George, how are you doing? You're alright. Kind of busy weekend, isn't it? A w- yes, a weekend of two Newcastle United fixtures of, of pretty contrasting emotion, I have to say. Yeah. Pretty devastated after Saturday night, but now I'm full of elation because the Lasses have won again. They're in a cup final. Fucking brilliant. Brilliant. Come on. Absolutely brilliant. Just back from St. James's Park. Yeah, just brilliant scenes. Another big, big crowd there. 22,000 people and just fabulous to see this very, very special team get to a final. And um, yeah, hopefully they can go one better than the lads last season but yeah fabulous so that has re- that has refueled me good so i'm full of positivity again because that was just great ah brilliant result for the last and we'll have a proper chat about that later on yeah uh, chris woff's here as well chris how are you doing you okay uh good evening yes i'm not doing too badly thank you yeah i have managed to have i banished last night out of my mind no probably not but you know i'd like to but we're going to talk about it so i'm not allowed to am i actually so uh Gonna banish it because it's such a quick turnaround to Blackburn on such a big That's match it. as well. But um, yeah, God. Anyway, there's lots to talk about, and there lots to talk about. How are you doing, Taylor? I'm not too bad. I'm not too. I'm not. This is this recording on a Sunday night has completely thrown my equilibrium out of whack. I don't know what the hell's going on. I yeah, don't, I don't know where I am, who I am. I've got somebody else's trousers on. It's, it's wow. just completely wrong. Okay, it's completely wrong. Not. Uh, let's start with the uh, the depressing news of Arsenal versus Newcastle United, uh, Saturday at 8pm. Has there ever been more team news before a game, Chris? Isaac, Willock, Tino, Karius, all in, burn, bench, Dubravka, out. What the hell's going on? It's a very odd question. It's a very odd. <laughs> Has there ever been more team news? Has there ever been more team news? <laughs> that might That's- be the most team news that we've ever had. See, the the problem with asking the question that way is that Chris has probably like got written down in a ninety-five page Google document about when there actually was more team news. Well actually say I think you'll find there was more team news. There was more uh, team news Leicester in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Kind of before he answers that question, go on. I want to say that my evening well, maybe this was actually um, quite appropriate because it started with two sort of moments which involve celebrity. Ooh. So I, I sound like I'm bigging myself up, but although the first one doesn't. So I was just out watching the team arrive about 90 minutes before kickoff because I wanted to see if Dubravka was there because there'd obviously been all those rumours about Karius playing. So I was just watching the team come out and Eddie Howe and Jason Mad Dog Tyndall went out onto the pitch and they were walking off and I was just looking up and I was like taking a picture because Joe Willock was there and Mad Dog stuck his thumb up and it was like, oh, cool. And I stuck my thumb up back. And then I realised he was doing it at Martin Keown, who was um, standing a short distance away. So that was really, really embarrassing. Nobody saw my embarrassment, I don't think, apart from myself. But I sort of had to cover my thumbs up into a sort of strange, you know, hitchhiking sort of gesture <laughs> as if I'm going to touch my hair or something. Anyway, then I went in back into the press room. And Martin O'Neill was there. Now, Martin O'Neill, who I got to know when he was at Sunderland, sorry, Hmm. and then when he was Ireland manager, I was covering Ireland at the time. It was great, and I would always have a cup of tea with him. And I went into the press room, not seen him for a little while, and he came over to me and said, 
hello, you big handsome bastard. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, come on. Have gonna... you mixed up with somebody else? He thought he was somebody else, clearly. No, I don't think so, because then he, <laughs> then he called Luke Luke Edwards ugly. So I think, I well, think that was... I think he's pretty spot I, I, on. Yeah, yeah, pretty sharp judgment. So that was great. And so I thought, this is going to be a good night. This is going to be a good night at Arsenal. That started well for me. Yeah. And then... Yeah, well, it didn't, did it? I mean, history would suggest that it's never a good night at Arsenal, Chris, is no. it? Let's be honest. It, it's always shite. No, many a times I've seen Newcastle United shellackings there. But re- returning to team news... Returning to your team news spreadsheet, Chris. Yes. Yeah. Let's start with a positive. I'll try and be positive. Was that actually there was more players returning than actually absent, who weren't absent last weekend. So obviously Martin Dubravka was, but you had Alexander Isak and Joe Willock back in the squad. So therefore, mm. you know, you, you take the differential there and Newcastle were actually a player up. The issue was then they had the third choice goalkeeper in goal. Yeah. And the big change was for Tino Livermento finally was brought in as at left back instead of Dan Byrne. It was there was there was a lot of talk that maybe he would come in alongside Dan Byrne and then Newcastle may switch to a back five or a back three, something they have been trialling and training. But for whatever reason, Eddie Howe opted against that. And so the three changes were for Alexander Isak to come back in up front. Newcastle stuck with the 4-3-3. They had Tino Livermendo at left back. And then they also had uh, Loris Karius in goal. And yeah, it didn't really work very well, did it? Not at all. It was a, it was a pretty <laughs> woeful start, George, wasn't it? I mean, Newcastle are camped in their defensive third. Alexander Isak's a mere spectator. We didn't as much park the bus as we just let the handbrake off the bus and let it roll down the hill away from us. I'm not even sure there was a bus. <laughs> the bus was imaginary. I mean, yeah, Isak, you say he was a spectator. It was like he was in solitary confinement. I mean, it was... Yeah. I, I mean, I have to... Yeah, it was a woeful start. It was a shambolic first half. I mean, I think that's really the only phrase that I can use, and I don't use that word. I don't throw out words like that, particularly not about this Newcastle team. I try to be very measured in what I say, but... That is up there with the worst halves of football under Eddie Howe, if not the worst. Now, obviously, you have to recognise that they're playing an Arsenal team. Of course. But they're playing an Arsenal team who were in Europe in midweek and had a very difficult result, but you would have thought it was reversed. It was it was shocking. And the reason it was shocking, I think, is because of the contrast between the Newcastle that was there 13 months ago and the Newcastle that was there on Saturday night. Yeah, Newcastle irritated the life out of Arsenal. They were, you know, afterwards Arteta talks about Newcastle never playing against against any team like that, and Eddie Howe saying, you know, we're not here to be popular. It was all that kind of stuff. You had five Newcastle players booked that game. There were no Newcastle players booked on Saturday. Didn't get close enough to get a booking, did we? No, but and and that was it. It's like what has happened to the team that was aggressive, in your face. Remember Jamal Lascelles getting a booking for disrupting a throw-in last season. Of course, and they they, I mean, there there is a huge amount. You know, there are a lot of reasons for how Newcastle have got to this point, and I think that's totally fair enough to keep acknowledging that they do still have players out and you know we'll come on and talk to talk about the midfield but it's the same midfield three who are playing week in week out but surely at some point you, you just have to say that that was not good enough that was not a Newcastle team worthy of the team that played last season it was just appalling it was you know they didn't lay a glove on Arsenal and it barely felt like they were trying to to lay a glove on, on Yeah, they were on very them. passive, weren't they? Yeah, and just not the kind of team that we've come to expect from from Eddie Howe. 
I wouldn't want to preface everything I say here by by stressing how good I thought Arsenal were during the first half. And obviously they're in a rich vein they of form. Yeah. They became the first team in the Premier League ever to score two goals in seven consecutive halves of football, which apparently is a thing, but it is impressive of its own accord. No team had scored at the Emirates, and I think it was it was several matches. So eventually Newcastle did do that, but part of the problem was, as well as Newcastle being smothered by the press to such an extent that even Bruno Gimraes, Newcastle's most press-resistant player, ended up passing the ball out for a corner because Arsenal's press had smothered him to such a degree inside Newcastle, deep inside Newcastle's half. They also retained the ball so poorly, and they've done this regularly in away games. But when you do it at Arsenal and they win the ball up high, you're eventually going to be punished, and. Newcastle during the first half, you mentioned Isak being isolated, he only had 10 touches, none of them in the opposition box, in fact the only touch Newcastle had in the opposition box in the first half came in the 43rd minute when Miguel Almiron was played in, and it shouldn't actually have counted as a touch because he was actually offside, but the referee played on, so if you, if you flagged offside it wouldn't have counted as a touch, but because Arsenal had won the ball back already, that counted as a touch, and so Newcastle managed to say that they had a touch in the opposition box during the first half, but other than that they didn't look like scoring, I mean their XG throughout the entire game was 0.16 last year when they had that 0-0 draw when you think that Arsenal absolutely battered them Newcastle's XG was 1.06 so that shows you how much more defensive they were this time is it possible to have a negative XG no I mean it feels it Um, feels like it should be based on Saturday doesn't it well, so 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 the obviously the other stat about the first half is that Newcastle didn't have a shot in yeah. that first half. It's the first time that's happened in the Premier League in ten years. So you're going back through a shitload of misery to get to get back. There was to another that point. stat that Arsenal had only conceded three shots in their last three games at the Emirates as well, which I thought was well, a, and, and, an and, unbelievable okay, so that, stat. Yeah. From a defensive point of view, you know. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. And as Chris says, we're right to point out how good how good they were and they really were. But Again, you know, I I just don't think, I just don't, you know, we have to look at Newcastle. We have to look at the way they played. No, and, you know, Eddie Howe wasn't shying away from it. He said that wasn't, that wasn't like this. And yeah, it was that sort of lack of aggression and the lack of fight and the sort of the lack of belief that they could do anything, which was really sort of quite, quite shocking. And I, I you know, I do think that this is a, a sign of several things, but one of them is just that negative momentum that there is now, and certainly in terms of conceding, you know, that, yes, I know that the team had been on a, you know, an an unbeaten run before going to Arsenal, but the ease with which they're letting in goals, that they're conceding territory, that they're conceding chances, must be affecting the whole team because they just looked absolutely bereft of confidence and you know we've seen that we've seen that both ways with this team last season they were so confident yeah they were had so much belief they had so much momentum behind behind them you always thought that they were going to win or you always suspect that they would and now it's gone to the to the other thing and that sort of nervousness has just completely spread around the team I mean psychologically it's fascinating I mean not that I was fascinated in that first half. I was. It was like car crash territory. It was. It was horrifying. One player who certainly hasn't seemed himself recently is Sven Botman. Chris, um, he's he's not looked the same since he came back from that injury, has he? And you've got to worry and wonder whether that's playing in the back of his mind or whether he's being careful because he just doesn't look like the same player we had last season. 
I think it took him a few games to get back to a decent level. I think there were signs of him getting back to that, but over the course of the last two or three weeks, I think that you've, he's really, really regressed. And this is not just to just dig him out against Arsenal. No, I thought, that, I thought yeah, yeah. that there were many bad performances. I thought Fabian Chair was absolutely terrible as well. I thought no, the two wasn't. of them... And yes, part of that is, is Arsenal enforcing it on them, but their use of the ball, their decision-making, they had a role in, in some of Arsenal's goals by making mistakes... And that is such a concern because of that solidity the back four had last season, which we've referenced so many times, and they both were key parts of that, and share for most of this season had been as well, but he started to struggle a little bit more over the course of the last few weeks. Botman is struggling even more, and is it is it the knee injury? Is that affecting him? Obviously, that's the presumption we all make. I can't say that for yeah. certain, but you would assume that is part of the reason because he does look slower on the turn than he did previously, and that was part of the issue, I think, with the Byrne and Botman dynamic and not having Joel Linton in front of them over the course of the last few weeks is partly the reason why they've been exposed so much is because teams recognise that. And that's where Tino Levermento coming into the side, I felt for him, and you can't just judge Tino Levermento coming at left-back on the basis of 70 minutes at Arsenal in a game when Newcastle were complete car crash territory, but it didn't automatically bring the positive ups shift that everyone hoped that it would if you made that change and took Dan Byrne out of the side. It, it wasn't that. And what I found strange about that decision when I've mentioned, I understand why Howe is, to a degree is stuck with his 4 through 3 it's, it's just what he sees as his tried and tested formula. It's what he believes in. But part of the reason why he kept Dan Burning and said that he kept Dan Burning against Luton was to do with set pieces. Yeah. Now you go to Arsenal, who have the best set piece record in the league, who end up scoring two set pieces, and you make the decision to take Dan Burn out for that game. And that's where I find it counterintuitive to a certain extent that I'm sure there are reasons beyond that, but I find it hard to justify that as a decision. For this game specifically, other than obviously Saka, I get that, but the, the the other argument of why you'd kept Dan Byrne in the team, surely there was a strong argument to have kept him in the team, whether that was at left centre-back or as a full-back still. On the kind of Botman thing, I mean, that is, you know, I guess that's the thing that comes into our head straight away. It's like, oh, could this be the sort of injury? Could this... And, you know, it might be. The other thing is, just to go back to that confidence point, it sort of makes me think back to Alan Shearer playing under Rude Hullet and, you know, then Bobby comes in and basically says, turn around, son, you need to face goal. And suddenly he's Alan Shearer again and he, you know, there was no no magic formula. It was just a few words. It was the manager clearly wanting him to be in the team and wanting him to play and giving him that confidence. And suddenly, you know, suddenly he was Shearer again and... I'm not saying that Sven Botman should be turned around because I think that would be disastrous for a centre-half. Um, that's a joke. You can laugh at that if you want. I did chuckle very slightly. Thank, thank yeah. you, Chris. I didn't find it very amusing. So. No. no, not a flicker from Chris. He probably thought I was trying to make a serious <laughs> tactical point. An inverted an inverted number. What would that be? An invert, What number is he? Four. An inverted four. A double four. Deep-lying double, double four. inverted. Yeah. A pivoted four. A, 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 an about fa- An inverted four. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. Um, but, you know, that that thing can make you look heavy-legged, and which, again, I think that was something that was apparent throughout the team. It's like, this is a team that is wading through treacle, but they've had a week off and Arsenal haven't. Why is that? Well, one team has got confidence and belief in itself at the moment, and the other hasn't. And the stuff about Dan, I, I agree with Chris. I mean, it's interesting. Eddie Howe, I mean, I will defend Eddie Howe till my last breath and I think he's been amazing but to me it feels like the problem is not about personnel it's a systemic failure and 
because Newcastle are just making the same mistakes week in, week out when it comes to conceding goals and nothing is really changing, even though the personnel changes. So I don't know. It feels to me like it's time to switch things, switch things around a bit. Um, just to let you know, I've completely lost video feed of Chris and George entirely, oh. so I can't see. I've got no video at all. I don't know if it's my internet. It, it must be because I can see all of you. I can see you as well. I can see yeah. Ollie with his two middle fingers in the air. All oh, right, okay. I was just doing the same thing there. So. Ah, there we go. Well, I can see you doing the one, Cassandra. So. Good. Okay. Oh, well, it mustn't be my internet then. Well, no, that see me, okay. That doesn't make sense. It is your internet because otherwise you'd be able to see us. But then how am I getting out okay without being all scrambled up and shit? Fucking no, what are you asking me for? How does the internet work? <laughs> Ask Chris. Have you got a spreadsheet on the internet, Chris? How does the internet work? Is it just like, is it like the phone like? How was it? Is it like, how does. It's got a feeling the Benz must be upstairs playing. I once got into trouble at school in, in geography for asking why clouds don't crash into mountains. <laughs> but I mean, they sort of do, so I don't know. It's probably a stupid question in the first place. Leave that bit in the podcast. Please, please do. George, a revelation, George Colton wanted to be a cloud driver when he was six years old. <laughs> I wish I was six. I was 17. Um, <laughs> right, let's move on. Come on, that's enough. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Come on, you Mackies. Uh, we have had an email from a from a listener. This is from Pastor Eric Brown in Illinois, of all places. Uh, oh, a regular contributor. Hello, Pastor Brown. Yes, absolutely. Um, he said, I'm an admitted Sean Longstaff fan, but I'm utterly baffled by cries of Longstaff out, etc. These folks do realise that this season, Sean was set to be our fifth choice midfielder. Our midfield looked pathetic against Arsenal, but the same three have been playing week in, week out. In the 13 matches since December the 16th, Sean Longstaff has been subbed out for 20 minutes. That's it. The problem at the moment isn't Sean Longstaff isn't quality enough. It's that we've been so disrupted that he's had to play this much. I'd argue that Sean Longstaff would be the best sixth midfielder in the Premier League next does he, season. Does he mean sixth best for Newcastle? I think he means of, of, of every team's choice of midfielders, nobody would have as good a sixth choice midfielder as we are, as we would have with Sean Longstaff. I think that's kind of the... Well, Pastor Brown, you're saying that you're a, you're a Sean Longstaff fan, but now you're relegating him to the six <laughs> and bottom of the list for Newcastle midfielders. Well, he makes the point, though, that, that Sean shouldn't have played as many minutes as he has this season. And I think you could probably say that about a number of the players, couldn't you, in the team? Well, I mean, Lewis, Lewis Miley is absolutely yeah. the case in point. I mean, the lad was excellent the previous weekend. He's, uh, you know, don't want to go on about his age. He's 17 years old. He shouldn't have played this much football. That was not the plan. He's risen to it. Newcastle have an absolutely sensational player on their hands if he continues on this plane. But at the same point, um, he needs a rest. He needs to come out. And I think it's the same for everybody. Playing the same midfield three week upon week upon week is a matter of necessity, not choice. And, um, I mean, I'll defend Sean Longstaff too. I mean, I think he's 
struggled on occasion since he came back into the team. But when he's playing well, he's the running heartbeat of the side. I don't think I'd put him six on the list. I think he'd he might start off that way, but I think he would back himself to rise higher, and I would I would do too. But you know, there are so many. It's the the. I don't think it's the personnel. I don't think it's the individual players that are, are at fault. It's the fact that they're not being changed, and it's the fact that to you know, however well they're doing individually. They're not gelling as a team, and there's no, you know the the feistiness, the aggression of Joe Linton is a massive miss. The running of Willock has really been missed, and it's the fact that we haven't been able to switch them around. Yeah, we've missed a bit of dynamism in there, haven't we? I think it's fair to say totally. And aggression, and spite, yes. and yeah. fight, and, and nastiness, and just general yeah. shit houseery, as we yeah. as we uh, used to talk about more often than not. Um, Eddie Howe, Chris said, Loris Carius did nothing wrong, which might be slightly generous. Uh, he played okay, but it's almost impossible, isn't it, to make a judgment in that game? It is, yeah. I mean, the, there's been some criticism of his role in some of the goals, which I think is slightly harsh. I don't. I maybe. Maybe they are saves that Nick Pope would make, or maybe Martin Dubravka to a certain degree. But I thought for the first goal, I thought that that he made a good reflex save to begin with. The ball just sort of came at him, and then obviously it's a it's a bit of a calamity in general from Newcastle trying to clear the ball between Botman, Livermento, and 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 Carius, who's on the floor himself. Um, and then maybe the the last goal, yeah, he didn't do brilliantly for third goal, arguably. But I don't, I don't think I thought he made a couple of decent saves. The problem you've got there is again. You've got another player come into a side who doesn't have that relationship with the back four. Dubravka's trying, been trying to build that with the rest of the side and the and the in the in the way yeah. that everyone works and the style of the team. And then you have that taken out, and then suddenly you've got Loris Carrier. And the difference for the Carabao Cup final last season was Newcastle knew that is very sinister. What's coming behind you? I just saw something moving behind. You. I thought it was a, I thought it was a a body moving behind. You. Oh, it was, it was the, the door dog. opening. For some reason the television's we turned suddenly, on as well I've no idea why that's happened We were suddenly transformed into a horror film I'll be back in a minute after I've contacted an exorcist To come and sort this house out <laughs> Get them to sort out Newcastle's defence please Which seems to be the, haunted by the ghost of Titus Bramble <laughs> Titus Bramble's not dead George <laughs> That's good Anyway back, back to my point Because this was also the same. Weirdly, there's this weird thing about Loris Carrius always now play. The only weekend of the season he plays for Newcastle is this basically this yeah. weekend in of London. The season. Yeah, in yeah London. A very specific area of like North London as well. Um, I mean, I, I was disappointed actually. That this ruined his statistic that his only appearance for Newcastle was in the cup final. But the point about I was making about the cup final was that Newcastle knew in the week leading up to that that he was going to be in goal, and so they tried to build that relationship. It's still difficult within a week. But Martin Dubravka only went downhill on Friday, so they had basically no preparation yeah. time beyond what would normally be in training and, and it wouldn't be that Carrius would usually step yeah. in so and that's 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 not the reason why Newcastle lost that, that lack of relationship there was issues all over the field yeah. but obviously that's just another point to add in there my good mate Stephen Best friend of the podcast as well he posted on Twitter saying Sven Botman only scores one goals when Loris Carrius is in between the sticks <laughs> which I thought was nice but uh, see I, I I think you know it's like when you when you talk about a team you're talking about partnerships and you're talking about units and if you're Carrius so you've not you've not started a Premier League game since 2018 that's one thing but you're looking at what's in front of you and you're seeing Botman and Cher playing like they are at the minute and you're thinking "Mm, this is a bit yeah this is a bit dicey here I'm going to be busy you've then got Botman and Cher who probably acknowledging they're not 
feeling great about their own form at the minute. They're looking behind them and thinking, mm, this guy's not played a league game for six years and he doesn't look like he's very certain about us. You're then looking to the midfield. The midfield is like a wasteland in terms of defensive help at the minute. I mean, yeah. it is a knife through butter. And then you've got the midfield who'll be looking behind thinking, oh, the centre-halves aren't playing very well at the minute and Alexander Isak may as well be a mile away. And then you've got Isak. And so it just goes all the way through the team. Now, last season... What Newcastle were brilliant at were pressing from the front. You know, they had their own little little individual partnerships. By the way, if you're talking about Dan Byrne at left back, it wasn't just him. You knew that whoever was in front of him would offer him protection. You know, there was a unit there. And so all of those little units have broken down in terms of sort of their own strength. And that uncertainty that's been created has just spread all away. Nobody has confident about anybody else at the minute whereas 12 months ago it was the absolute opposite everybody knew what the other bits of the team were supposed to do yeah. and they trusted each other and that trust has evaporated let's clutch at a few straws here as well we've now played the top three twice so that's them all out of the way basically trips to Chelsea uh, and Man United remain of course but all in all uh, we have the kind of running that you'd take Chris wouldn't you given the choice Given Newcastle's current form, no. I, 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 no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm. I'm going to be honest. You look at any game and you look at their home form at the moment. And whereas early in the season, if you'd have said to me that Newcastle were going to have matches against Luton and Bournemouth at St James's Park, I'd have said, right. Well, there's six points straight away. Whereas at the minute. You've got no confidence that they're going to because they are conceding so many goals away from home. Their form had actually picked up, but they are still eventually conceding the number of goals they were away from home. They conceded two at Forest. You're not going to concede two away from home very often and end up winning a match. And that's where they they then go and concede four at Arsenal. They very rarely get anything at Stamford Bridge, even if they've got issues. Man United, I know they went Old Trafford and won there early in the season. Man United lost over the weekend. But again, it's a ground Newcastle don't historically go to and do well at. So I, I can't say that with any sort of confidence. Yes, it does look kind in many ways, but this Newcastle side are just so unpredictable at the moment. My clutching at straws bit, the positive I will take, is Joe Willock's return. Now, I want to, again, preface this by saying... I had a conversation with someone today and they were like, oh, it'll be great because Willock could start next week. I don't think Willock is ready to start football matches and I think it's going to be a few weeks before he will be because he's played so few matches in recent months. So I think he needs time, but I also think that he can offer something different. He can relieve that three-man midfield, hopefully, give them another option in there and give them legs. He immediately saw when he could run with the ball that suddenly Arsenal had something to think about. Suddenly Newcastle had a bit of dynamism there. And it's not the same as having Joe Linton in there as well, but I do think that that is a huge positive with Elliot Anderson hopefully coming back soon as well, that it seems like players are gradually starting to come back and that is exactly what Newcastle need. I think it's fair to say, George, that Blackburn game now is massive, isn't it, on Tuesday? Well, it's huge. It is. It is absolutely huge. I mean, I didn't, when I say that, I, I, I mean I'm not sort of trying to make that sound sort of ominous. But Eddie Howe said after the match, uh, we have to look at this as the biggest game of our season. There's a lot resting on this game. Newcastle are putting pressure on themselves. That's that's the thing. And you know, the Sunderland result that got them out of out of pressure. Um, and you know that was good. They used that for some some positive momentum, and it's the same now. I mean, I'll sort of reverse it. It's like if Newcastle were to lose against Blackburn, it would feel like the the floor was you know going. What do I'm trying? What am I trying to say there? The floor like, was what? The no, the opposite. Like the sky was falling in. Right. Is that the kind of thing you were going for? Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Yeah. 
just just leave that in because I, I like I like to remind people. I mean, so just to let people, you know, behind the curtain of the podcast, Ollie, our very very um, hard put upon producer, because he has to get rid of all my errs and erms in the podcast, which um, takes a very long time. Sometimes, you know, he tidies up the things that we say and makes yeah. us sound far more professional than we are. But I think I think sometimes it's important for people to see what your p- performance actually looks like on the day. So let's leave that in and just see how yeah. absolutely brain fucked I actually am. Ollie's job is essentially panning for audio gold, isn't it? That's what he does. <laughs> and And more often than not... He just finds a few nuggets of dog shit. That's what tends to happen, isn't it? Bless him. But it's a big game. I mean, and let's take a step back. If you sift out, if you're panning this season for nuggets of gold, okay, okay, just to carry on with that analogy, and that's all you did, you could be mistaken for thinking this is one of the best seasons in Newcastle United's history because the highlights of this season have been astonishing. Oh, so high. Absolutely astonishing. Yeah. And... They do still have a chance to get back into Europe in the league if they pull themselves together, if they you know, do what Chris said, if they stop conceding these stupid goals. And they are still in with a great chance in the FA Cup. So it's not doom and gloom. It's just we need, we need the real Newcastle to stand up. I mean, there's no chance of them winning anything or qualifying for Europe if they defend yeah. the way they did, if they play the way they did in the first half against Arsenal. And... More importantly than that, it's not just Arsenal. This is now a sustained run of form. They've conceded 23 goals in eight games, I think it is. They've conceded two goals or more in seven out of the last eight in the league. They've conceded four goals or more in four of the last 11 fixtures. Now, that has to be a concern. I mean, that's a big concern because it says that Newcastle have become a soft touch. So... It can still be a great season. Whatever happens, there'll be some amazing highlights from it. But yeah, they've they've got to tighten up. They've got to tighten up. Absolutely. Right, time for a quick break, chaps. Uh, and we'll be back to talk about the lasses who are in a cup final. Tabby Mum, won't be home for tea. I'm off to Luton Tower FC. So, lads, to St James's Park this afternoon. The lasses triumphant against Portsmouth. Well, they were close from corners and free kicks in the first half. Can they make this one count? Dodds with the ball. Oh, Potts. Potts with the header. Oh, yeah, oh. In. Early in the second half, the goal that has been coming. Dodds delivered the corner. Potts back across goal. And in this semi-final, they are on their way. Charlotte Potts. At St James's Park, Newcastle United 1, Portsmouth 0. And here go the visitors again. And it's an opportunity for Jones as the goalkeeper comes out, but she's beaten. And there is the equaliser. The flag stays down. The finish from Emma Jones to bring Portsmouth level 1-1. Kelly. Oh, what a ball. Another brilliant cross-field ball. Barker, great cross. The header into the back of the net. Georgia Gibson... Who else? Surely a late winner to take Newcastle into the final. Well, they've hit the bar three times in the second half. They've been banging at the door. And finally, right at the end of the 90, it has come. And Gibson, four in four for her at St James's Park. At the Gallagher end, 
surely the match winner Newcastle United 2 Portsmouth 1 Portsmouth a decent side as well that's a great result George Oh, it was fantastic. It was a really good game, actually. Portsmouth, you could see that they're top of their division. You could see why they absolutely contributed to the game. So there was some jeopardy and Newcastle had to be patient. I mean, ultimately, they had to be very, very patient. I'm sure the idea, as they've shown in in lots of other games recently, is that they can afford to do that because they're the full-time side, they're the professionals, and they can kind of wait. And usually they're the team that ends up proving their superior fitness by the end and I guess that's sort of how it how it happened but yeah just a it was a it was a sort of cagey start but yeah they got there by the end and they had they had loads of chances loads of chances they did uh, Potts broke the deadlock from a Dodds corner uh and St James's Park is enjoying it immensely Chris it's it, it, some some result that and a great afternoon big crowd everything fantastic stuff it is and I mean even with Newcastle's sort of in theory superior fitness given that they're full time it's still very different they've played at St James's Park a few times but they don't do it regularly and it is still a very different atmosphere environment to be playing in front of that many people and also on that size of pitch and with the slope as we know to try and deal with all of that and find a way when the pressure really is on you in that situation to try and get to a cup final to do something most of these players haven't done certainly in recent years and to, to in front of, of, of that volume of people I think it's it, it's it's absolutely wonderful and it shows the character and resolve this side has, has, has managed to produce certainly over the last few weeks given the, the difficult result they had at Man United and then the following defeat they had You talked about uh, Tyler Dodds her corner leading to that goal her, her distribution throughout the match was brilliant, I thought. But Charlotte Potts was sensational. Yeah. I mean, she was absolutely sensational. She scored with that towering header, but she was an absolute rock at the back. I mean, she has been, you know, she has been for Newcastle for a for a while. But yeah, I just thought she was she was woman woman of the match. She was just sensational, proper leader. She had to make some really important tackles at the back. She was everywhere, and. Yeah, I, I, it was actually a game where sort of experience, I think that experience was really important. I thought our mate Amber Keegan Stubbs was absolutely sensational as well. She was everywhere. A lovely moment. She did as she threatened <laughs> yep. in the um, in the piece that I did with her in the clip that we heard last week, come onto the field in tears and... I mean, she was smiling as she was doing it, but she was wiping her wiping her eyes, her, and it was just a kind of like a beautiful moment. And yeah, I spent a lot of time what just watching her and everywhere and shouting and pointing. She 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 is always involved. You need those kind of leaders in in those moments, and she was brilliant. And then of course, Georgia Gibson or Georgia Gallagate Gibson, as she is now officially known, scored her usual goal. Um, at that end, brilliant, and Newcastle needed those players, and the fact that they, you know, that they have a connection to the club is is very special. Yeah, Gibson always scores at St James Park, doesn't she? She always scores at the Gallagher end, George, as you say. It's definitely the direction you want to be shooting in in the second half, isn't it, Chris? Well, it seems for the lasses that, that it seems to work. Yes, um, I mean that it hasn't worked out particularly well for the lads in recent weeks. So, yeah. uh, well, let's not get drawn into this debate again, shall we? No, it was a great cross mine from Barker as well from the left. She'd been electric down that left hand side all game, uh, and the Portsmouth defender got booked when eventually she decided that she'd had enough uh, and dropped her shoulder into Katie's face, bless her. Um, she was brilliant though, George. She was she was fantastic. I mean, I always I always make a point of mentioning Kate, Katie because I just love her energy. She, I mean, yeah, she's 
you know, she she is the number nine, but she's been shunted out wide now. But she offers so much from that position too. She drives in, she can cross the ball, and it's it's that sort of indefatigable. Oh, well oh, done for done. me yeah. managing to get that out of my mouth. Um, energy and that that keeps the team ticking over. I love watching her play as well, but I just love watching the whole team play. I mean, there isn't a weak link in it. They're special people. They're a joyous uh, team to watch, know, aren't they? Joyous. They're, they're a joyous team to watch. I mean, uh, you know, we're talking about the men's team and how they were last Absolutely. season. It's very similar for the, for the lasses now. They're just going on to the pitch knowing or thinking that they won't be beaten but it's not complacency it's not arrogance they've they've got the skill set to back it up they're so confident they are patient they trust each other um and you know they just know that they'll come through it and you know it was a very very late very very late winner but it sort of felt inevitable after it happened they are brilliant they represent newcastle so well they represent themselves so well and Obviously, it was a great crowd. It was a big crowd. One of the special things about it is seeing so many girls go up to the ground with their parents and you know then that we've got them for life, which is really important, particularly in an era when it's so difficult to get into St. James's at the moment. You know, you you don't want to look out the next generation. But sort of far more importantly, I think, it's showing to, to young girls that there's, there is a pathway. If they want to participate in football, they can do it now. And if they want to watch football, they can also do it. And this team, it's full of special people and it's full of role models. They're, they're just brilliant. I can't say enough about them. Yes, and a special word, of course, uh, for Becky Langley, who celebrated her 100th game in charge to date. Yeah, I think the adrenaline's still going, so I'm still really excited. And the scenes in the change room are just so nice to see after all the hard work to finally get across the line. It was a tight game. It was a good battle between us and Portsmouth, but I'm just so glad we've come out out the other side and, and got the result and then into the final now. Before the game, we wanted to you know, give the supporters who've come week in, week out to Kingston Park or on the away trips a cup final to look forward to and to be able to give that cup final feel to our fans and friends and family is just massive. Just capturing the last six months, you know, we've transitioned from part-time to full-time and it's been like moving mountains off the pitch in terms of where we're at now in comparison to, to six months ago to 12 months ago. So yeah, it's been so much hard work, but it's for moments like today. The joy of just being there with all the fans um, and just the excitement of it all is just brilliant. Um, when they equalised, you know, it was a bit a bit nerve-wracking at that point. But again, I thought the girls really kicked on well after conceding. And then, yeah, so special for, for Potsy and for Georgia, two massive Newcastle fans to score, score the two goals today. She's been phenomenal since she came in. She's been with the lasses through the time when they've changed to full-time. Uh, and she's took it in a stride, hasn't she? She got a round of applause at the end of her press conference as well. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Doesn't happen very often. Yeah, you journalists are very hard to please, aren't you? Don't don't give a round of applause. Well, very often. you're supposed to be impartial because obviously there's you know there's there's always people from both teams there, and you're not supposed to sort of show your show emotion in the press box and things like that. We don't always manage to do that. But I think getting to a cup final and with everything else that's going on around the team, I think she certainly deserved that. She's an incredible manager. She made the point in that press conference this evening that her parents had reminded her that back at the start they were helping collect money on the gate in the early days so you know not only was Becky effectively doing everything herself laying out the kit collecting the balls at the end of training sessions at half 10 at night 
putting them into her car afterwards, going home, washing the bibs, eating her tea at 11 o'clock and then doing her day job the next day. She worked for Newcastle, you know, she had a full-time job at Newcastle Uni. She was the head of their women's football department and would sometimes be doing two away games on a weekend. It's an astonishing life. It's amazing commitment, um, that, isn't it? It's just incredible, man. Yeah, and from all of that, I mean, we haven't mentioned Grace Donnelly, who, uh, you know, she she made a brilliant save in the first half. And, you know, the keeper who, you know, she was working for a school last year, you know, doing all that, eating a tea in the car on the way back, going straight to training, and joined the club at a time um, when they were having to pay to play. It's awful to think about. I mean, take a further step back. It's awful to think that women were prevented from playing on FA-affiliated pitches for... 70 years, something that only ended in the early 70s. Anyway, we've got proper standard bearers at this club now and um, absolutely love them to bits. Got a cup final, lads. Got a cup Fantastic. final. Fantastic. Congratulations brilliant. to all the lasses uh, on a brilliant performance and a brilliant result. Well, that's just about it, chaps. Thank you very much. Uh, just a bit of time to finish off. I've got much planned this week, Chris? I've got George chauffeuring me to the northwest on Tuesday night to Blackburn, uh, yes. Are you going to sit in the back, Chris? I'm bringing my booster chair for Chris to sit in the back, yeah. 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 Chair lock on. Absolutely. And b- before we end, I would, n- not that I wish to bring things down, but of course it is a year after after Wembley. And so that means it's a year since my, my stepdad, Gordon, died. So I want to dedicate this podcast, if I may, to my uh, lovely family in Oregon, my family in London, my family in, in Newcastle in the Northeast, and to Pat, his widow, but also to uh, my Newcastle United family and just that and you chaps who I love to bits and you know just that sort of plea for perspective that um, we're better when we're together aren't we absolutely 100% uh, no better place to finish than there I think chaps uh, thank you very much for listening get yourselves in touch uh, at pod on the time on twitter or x email us at pod on the time at theathletic.com that's it thanks a lot Chris for your time thank you Toodaloo thank you George see you later in the week see you in a bit Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. Take care, and we shall speak to you very soon. Bye-bye. Tell you, man, Sunday night. It's proper screwed me up, this. Right then, let's just about finish things off, chaps. Why not? Chris, you got much uh, much planned for the week? You're off to Fulham, Chris, are you? Yeah, Fulham, Blackburn, Fulham. Where'd get Fulham from? Let's do that again. They've let's already beaten Fulham, Taylor. They've I'll already do that again. Fulham. No, I'm no, doing no, that no, again. Let's leave that in. No, 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 no,